This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, your official Trek FM show about the books and comics of Star Trek. And I'm just one of your hosts, Bruce Gibson. And with me, as he always is, the wonderful, fabulous, beautiful Dan Gunther. Whoa, three adjectives. Man, I have to step up my compliment game when I'm leading the show. <laughs> I don't think we have ever referred to you as beautiful. I, you know, I'm, I am I might get used to that. I don't know if you want to go down that road. I, I, I kind of like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful Dan Gunther. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you tonight, the equally beautiful Bruce Gibson? Well, I'm doing fine. It's been a long day. Just flew in from New York. Say it. And boy, are your arms tired. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And how are you? Uh, Not too bad. Tired as well. Uh, I haven't flown anywhere, but uh, still, yeah, long day of work. But uh, again, excited to be here to talk about Star Trek books. So. Well, if you're tired, I suggest you go to bed early and have your beauty sleep, beautiful Dan Gunther. I think I will definitely be doing that tonight. <laughs> well, and before I go to bed tonight, I, I'm going to read a little book that I have here that I want to show you that I got for my birthday last month. I keep forgetting to mention it. It's Star Trek, the classic UK comics, the complete series, volume one. 1969 to 1970. Very, very cool. It's a nice big book, hardcover, all color pages of the comic. Well, I think there might, yeah, there's some black and white, but where the uh, comic was published in color, it's in here as color. And at the beginning of the book, there's a timeline of how the comics were produced and a brief history about how they started in the UK in uh, Joe 90 Top Secret comic and then into TV 21. And what's funny about this is this was the first introduction of Star Trek in the UK that before the TV series even mm. aired there. So anybody who who's, was in the UK that picked up that comic, that was the first introduction to Star Trek. And in the comic, the first couple issues, they called him Captain Kurt. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> 
K-U-R-T. Perfect. That's, I mean, you know, that's who he was, right? If you're in the UK at this time anyway. Who's this Kirk guy that comes along and, and replaces the famous Captain Kurt of Star Trek? <laughs> well, and, it, and then in one of the comics, he's called Captain Kurt, and then he's called Kirk, and then he's back to Kurt again, all in the <laughs> same comic. So I don't know. And of course, they, you know, the guys who were doing this, these issues hadn't seen the series, mm-hmm. you know, but still I'm surprised they got the name wrong. But they, cor- they corrected by like issue three or four. It was pretty quick. Mm, that's pretty funny. It's almost like they were slowly transitioning to the right name or something just to, you know, ease the <laughs> transition. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, uh, the Vulcan is Mr. Spike. No, I'm kidding. No, it's they got they got everything else right. Just that. <laughs> Excellent. But it's kind of like the Gold Key comics, so it's a little funny, a little different, you know. So, uh, but it's definitely fun to read, and they're real short. So, uh, like I said, I'll probably read an issue tonight. So before I go to bed. Very cool. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah. So today's feature is going to be on Star Trek Voyager number 15, Echoes, 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 Echoes. It's called just Echoes, by the way. I'm adding the other Echoes to the Echoes. <laughs> so, okay, so the authors, we have three authors, Dean Wesley Smith, who we know because uh, he's written a lot of the first issues or first novels of series that we've reviewed this past year, and Christine Catherine Rush and Nina Kirkaki Hoffman. Kirkaki. Interesting. Not Kurt. Not Kurt Aki. <laughs> Kirkaki Hoffman. So anyway, I don't I'm not really that familiar with her, but mm-hmm. now I'm familiar with some of her work. But we're gonna review that today with the not so beautiful, but somewhat beautiful Brandon Shamatala. I would agree with everything you just said. no it's it's interesting dean wesley smith and christine catherine rush of course very famous very prolific star trek novelists but i've never i've not come across this nina kiriki kirkiki hoffman before i'm i'm not sure i'm i don't think that i've seen her name on any other novels i I could be wrong but it doesn't seem familiar to me kiriki i just feel like saying that all the time (laughs) Oh, I just looked her up. She lives in California. That's that's all I'm going to say. Right. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go right into the news because we don't have much to cover except that we recently had the release of Star Trek, The Book of Lists. And this is written by Chip Carter. It's available right now from Harper Design. And the suggested real t- retail price is $24.99, at least here in the U.S. I don't know what it is there in Canada, but uh, it's probably more. Very likely. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dan, I don't know if you've seen this book or have looked at anything about it, but, uh, you know, it's a book of lists. Like, you know, here's list number four of the, you know, best uh, TNG episodes. It's like, okay, you know, TNG episodes, that's one thing. Or here's the best Voyager episodes of season two. Uh, So there's a variety of lists of that, but even like, the here's a list of the fights as at that was filmed at Vasquez Rocks, for example. Very cool. That's neat. <laughs> and there's also connections between TOS and the 1966 Batman series. Oh wow! So there's like a whole variety of stuff. <laughs> yeah, this one kind of slipped under my radar a little bit. 
Uh, but I've been seeing some posts on Facebook about it recently. Uh, some people kind of impressed with it. So I kind of have, I kind of want to look into it a little bit myself and, and see what it's all about. But yeah, the, the different lists sound really interesting. You know, we've got like historical figure cameos and crossovers and memorable deaths. You know, that's kind of neat. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, as a kid watching Star Trek, I might have had a notebook or something and been doing myself at the time. And it's got colorful pictures. I mean, the book looks really great. I've heard a lot of good things about it. So pick it up and get it. Hey, I just see right here on Amazon, it's available for sixteen fifty hardcover. There you go. So yeah, and in the oh, they got an ebook version for fifteen twenty one. Perfect. Well, I mean, you know, there's definitely options out there if you want. Uh, you know, oftentimes Amazon has their low price guarantee and all that kind of stuff. And they're usually a few bucks cheaper than the suggested retail. So, yeah, definitely uh, worth it to check that out. All right. So there you go. If you don't get it now, you can maybe get it later. Holiday gift ideas for your friends and family. And who doesn't like getting Star Trek books as gifts? Probably non-Star Trek fans, I guess. But if you're not a Star Trek <laughs> oh fan, gosh. why are you listening to this? <laughs> well, before I started doing ebooks, my in-laws every Christmas would say, what do you want for Christmas? And I always gave them a list of Star Trek novels. So I always think of like, now I get Amazon gift cards from them <laughs> so I can buy all my ebooks. But that's how I like afford a lot of my Star Trek novels is trying to gather stuff up at Christmas. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, let's go right into the feature and let's review Star Trek Voyager number 15, Echoes, 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 echoes. So here we are in our feature, and we're reviewing Star Trek Voyager number 15. This is back when the novels used to number themselves. Yes, the novels actually numbered themselves. They all stood in the line. I said, I'll be 15. That's what <laughs> Echoes did. And it's written by Dean Wesley Smith, Christine Catherine Rush, and Nina Kirkiki Hoffman. <laughs> Is it Kariki? Kariki. Okay. How do you know it's Kariki? <laughs> it's spelled. It's K. I was I like it. how it's spelled. I read it. No, I like Kariki. I like Kariki. 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 Hmm. Or Kiriki. Another exciting moment know. in podcasting brought to you by Trek FM. <laughs> It all depends what universe yeah, you're in, much. how it's pronounced. But, and I'll, I'll reiterate, this is back <laughs> in the good old days when the books were numbered. Yeah, this is something that obviously I, I remember Brandon loves, <laughs> is having the, the novels linearly numbered in a perfect fashion on his bookshelf. I like order. And whenever I take a picture of my, my bookshelf, it just sends him into something like an epileptic fit. <laughs> I like numerical orders. I like being able to nicely see the advancement of the number one added to each of the spines. Well, and the Voyager books re look really good on the shelf when they were numbered because they yeah. all in that same format. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were very consistent in how they looked from, from book to book. For Up sure. until the Nanotech War. Damn that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this book came out in 1998. So We haven't introduced Brandon, me yet. Who am I? I don't know. You keep talking you like everybody knows who you are. Hi, it's Brandon. <laughs> we did we did mention you uh, in oh, the news okay. earlier in the show. So so everybody got a preview about who you are. But t do tell us a little bit about I'm a Star Trek yourself. fan, and I like to read the Star Trek books. And Literary Treks was my entry into Trek FM. 
And I was so confused when I was going awesome. through the episodes because I was listening to the new ones and the old ones. And I'm like, why does this second voice keep changing every week? And it took me, it took me like <laughs> a long time before I realized that Dan and Chris were two different people. Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> I'm, I'm weirdly honored by that. Thank you. <laughs> That's really strange. <laughs> I don't know why we have you here now. <laughs> I think at this point I should try and do a Chris Jones impression, but it's not going to be good. So well, I you know, the one thing but... before I found out he knew, but before I found out that he lived in Tokyo, I'm like, this guy sounds like he's got a Japanese accent a little bit. He does talk. He does talk a little <laughs> bit like the like a Japanese accent, like not the way that he says the words, but how he speaks. I don't know if you've heard it. He just he's very acclimatized, which mm-hmm. is interesting. I don't know. I just think that's interesting. Completely unrelated to the novel we're yeah, about to sure. discuss, but <laughs> interesting nonetheless. It is interesting. So speaking of the novel then, when did you first read this novel, Brandon? I don't remember when I read it, but I did buy it when it first came out. I think I read it pretty quickly after it came out, though, but I haven't read it since then. And I've been dying to go back to it. And we had put this on the back burner, I don't know, six or seven months ago we were going to do this book, but then we decided to do the uh, the first book in each of the series, right? And so we were like, oh, let's put Echoes on the back. So I've been, I'm glad we finally got to this again because it's been, it's been almost 20 years since I've read it because it was pretty, pretty close to publication. I'm sure that I read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Dan? Actually, my story is very similar to Brandon's. I bought this back when it first came out and I think I read it fairly shortly thereafter as well. And again, I haven't read it since, but it's always been one that I remembered I really like parallel universe stories. You know, the, the episode parallels in TNG is, you know, very similar concept to this one. And, uh, I really remembered enjoying this book and I remember them linking it to the episode deadlock from Voyager, but that's about all that I remembered from it. And I forgot that part completely. I honestly went into this. I'm like, I didn't remember anything going into it other than I'm like, I really liked this when it came out. So (laughs) that's all I remembered. I never read it. I didn't buy it. It was at a time when I was still reading Star Trek novels, but I just wasn't reading them as often and buying them as often. As a matter of fact, around this time, I was engaged and we're planning a wedding and you know all that fun stuff that comes with you know growing up. Ugh. So <laughs> I didn't really get to read this one, but now I have, and this was a suggestion suggestion from you, Brandon, and and I'm I'm glad you suggested it because. Sometimes I like to read novels that are old and find out that I love them or that I hate them. And so I'll reveal later if I loved or hated it. I never, I, first of all, I've never hated a Star Trek novel, I'm just saying. <laughs> There's not a single one I've hated. You haven't read one. as many that, as I have then. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, there, there are certain ones that I probably could never read again, but I still don't hate them. <laughs> well, I know I'm a limited on it. We're planning on talking about one book that I really didn't enjoy. At uh, I, I w- I'm probably the only person on the planet that didn't enjoy the final reflection. Mm. So, but uh, so I'm looking to revisit. Looking forward to revisiting that one later on. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. So this book is quite confusing. I mean, it's easy to read, and 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 it's. I don't feel like it's confusing to read the book, but. I think to explain it would be a little bit much to go through what the whole plot is. But basically, we've got different 
Do you want me what? to give a good explanation? You, I can give a good explanation. I was it. just going to say we're dealing with a bunch of parallel universes, but yeah, go ahead. Right. So, so uh, Voyager encounters some weird kind of shockwave. They go and investigate. And uh, when they get there, uh, the the emergency signal that they followed that doesn't seem to be very important because the guy says his daughter's eyes color have changed. And through a series of events, they discover that uh, the shockwave that's happening is causing all the inhabitants of their planet plus every parallel dimension to be shifted over to the next parallel dimension. However, down the line of parallel dimensions, there's a, a string of planets that don't exist because in that dimension, they were destroyed by some method. So when the people are showing up in this dimension, they're showing up and there's no planet there and they're dying. Three billion people at a time. So every, they're stop it. every two and a half hours or so, I believe. Right? Every two and a half hours, yeah. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. I really want to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure in some parallel universe you did, so you're fine. <laughs> so yeah, we have these different storylines. Of course, we're not in we're not following every universe because there's thousands of them. So the book picks and chooses a few universes that we follow our Voyager crew on. And I don't think you really pick up a difference between the crew. It's not like you know, Jane, we acts different or any of the crew members act that different from each other in the different universes. It's not like a mirror universe situation. It's the Voyager crew. But you start to pick up that things are happening differently in each place. And maybe even uniforms have changed a little. So what we have like orange and black uniforms in one of the universes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that orange pants? Yeah, I, I wasn't. They kind of left it to your interpretation. They just said orange and black, and I, I, I pictured it was like orange in place of the red on the top of the. Yeah, uniforms. me too. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they, they kind of orange is the new black. Is that what it is? That could be. I mean, it could be flipped. You never know. But you know, that's one of the ways that the authors used to uh, signal to the the reader that things were different. And it was kind of neat how that happened. You'd be reading along and then, you know, Torres came onto the bridge and her green and red uniform, blah, blah. And you're like, wait, what? And so you, I found anyway that reading this, I had to constantly kind of adjust the picture that was forming in my head as I was reading it, which was kind of a bit of a fun exercise. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what's going on in Discovery. That's why we're seeing different uniforms. <laughs> no, no, it's not a pillow universe. It's in the prime universe. So we'll keep it there. <laughs> so uh, one thing we found interesting about this book is that the main story, that we do see the core universe, our universe, our prime universe is one of those storylines. But the one universe that seems to really carry this forward as the most important universe to resolve the situation at the end is this universe that is 2,410 universes away from our universe. And so our Voyager is just one of the universes that's trying to figure things out. But then this other one that's 2,410 universes away is dealing with something pretty traumatic, which I love the whole idea of them seeing a planet but it's not really a planet. Yeah, that's a pretty mm -hmm. neat image that they conjure up. I, I think it's important to tell the listeners who are who haven't read the book, who are following along, just uh, the idea of... So every two and a half hours, not only does the shift happen, but you get to see all of the planets in a kind of a line. And the way they described it in the book was very effective. It's as if you held up two mirrors to each other 
and how it goes off into infinity, how the reflections go off into infinity. That's the image that you see. And I think that's a, that's a very descriptive image. And it was easy for me to grasp exactly what they were trying to say when they wrote that image. Yeah, because they're looking uh, at the viewer on the on the bridge, and they're seeing those different universes. and And one of the voyagers was saying, "You know, I can see the universes to one side of me that have no planet, and the other side of me that does have the planet." And they could refer to the universes. That one over there, that's two universes over to the right, or that one over there, ten universes over to the left. Right. So yeah, that was. Pre- yeah, and you're right. Two and a half hours they have i don't i don't remember how long it lasted maybe just like a minute or I so think, I think it, was seconds, like, it was like they said. seconds yeah. it was mere seconds that it lasted yeah. yeah it didn't last long yeah that's right because well later i guess we'll kind of touch on it they they use that uh, opportunity to do something mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but what's what's interesting about the story and the way that it's developed is there's basically three crews that we're following and there's our crew there's the the first crew that has a, a universe without a planet. And then there's the, the continuing on in that string, there's the first crew that has another planet. So after the, after the gap of universes that don't have a planet, it's mm-hmm. the next universe that does have a planet again. So those are basically the three crews that we follow. Now, things happen where, you know, crew beam down to the planet and they get shifted along. So we might follow along with them another two shifts over, which we'll talk about later on as to why there's the two shifts or whatever. But, uh, but, uh, basically though, we follow those three crews and you're, you're very right, Bruce, in that it, there really isn't that much of a difference. It's not like it's a completely different Janeway acting in a very different manner. She's basically the same Janeway in all the universes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is that's really striking about this image. And again, we'll, we'll get to the reason why later, as you're looking down this line of planets that's stretching into infinity, there's a Voyager orbiting the planets, but only every second one, which is really interesting. So every other universe, there's no Voyager there and every other universe there is. And there's a very specific reason for that. And you know, we did mention that this ties into the episode Deadlock a little earlier. And uh, the the reason for it, I think, was brilliant. I thought the authors came up with something that was really cool. But you don't want to tell us yet. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, it's not a huge spoiler, I guess. So it, one, of, um, one of the more notable episodes, I'd say, from early Voyager was the season two episode Deadlock, where... That's my favorite episode of Voyager, my number one episode. See, I've heard that from a lot of people, which is really interesting, because when I first saw it, just a little tangent here, I was like, that's eh, okay. But uh, <sighs> it, it's kind of one of those ones that when I re- revisit later, having heard that from a bunch of people, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That is a really good episode. It's got a really cool scientific mystery to it it's a typical kind of bran and braga weird stuff going on i don't i don't know if he was involved in it but it feels like he wrote it yeah he did okay yeah or, that makes yeah, sense yeah bran and braga wrote it yeah yeah it feels like a braga episode so that makes sense yeah. and um yeah so in this episode voyager encounters a phenomenon uh, of course <laughs> a kind of plasma cloud phenomenon and they get duplicated or you know that's kind of what they think in the episode they get duplicated and both ships are drawing on the same source of antimatter and every so often this pulse i think it's a similar type thing like a pulse happens and more antimatter gets drawn away or something like that it's been a long time since i've seen it um 
but they're both drawing on the same sources of antimatter. One ship's getting very badly damaged by this and the other ship isn't. And then the Vidians come along and attack, but of course they only show up on one of the Voyagers and the Voyager that they board ends up the, the captain of that ship of Voyager destroys the ship and takes the Vidians out with them. And ironically, of course, it's the Voyager that was in pristine shape <laughs> that gets destroyed. So mm -hmm. supposedly the idea here is, uh, when that happened, it's like, you know, each universe kind of split in a decision tree because that's how different universes are formed. And every other one of those universes, Voyager destroyed itself because of that split that happened, which I was like, that's cool. That's neat. I, I love that. See, I, I kind of do and I kind of don't because that's – with Deadlock being my favorite episode, I, like, again, when I read this book the first time, I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and, like, this was literally, like, my favorite Star Trek book for the longest time. But reading again this time and with how I feel on Deadlock, I didn't quite like it as much because that's not how I see what happened with Deadlock. Like, it's not – parallel universes what happened occurred within one universe it just duplicated everything it duplicated all of matter on the ship but not the antimatter mm -hmm. right so it didn't it's not a separate timeline that they're dealing with it's two voyagers within the same timeline so i i understand how they took it and elaborated on it but to me that's not actually what happened in deadlock so that was a really big drawback for me rereading the book this time yeah, it, it is yeah, definitely a bit of a retcon for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're right. It really wasn't a parallel universe in Deadlock. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really even see how that would have caused what happened in this book. Right. Unless what they're Unless, trying to say is that in all of those parallel universes, it was actually the damaged Voyager. No, because that even wouldn't work either. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. So... I don't know, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it, I still enjoyed the book, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw something like that and just toss the book because they're really trying something unique with this book and trying something interesting. And I do really appreciate the type of story that they're trying to tell because it is a really interesting idea. But they, I can't remember. I'm, I'm just thinking back on this book. Did they really, were they implying that it was the events in Deadlock that caused this to happen? That not what because caused it really to happen wasn't. on the planet. What caused right. what caused the every other universe to not have a Voyager was because of the events of Deadlock. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Ba yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. the the underlying idea is that every decision that's made creates a parallel, a, a different branching off of the universe, and that particular episode caused another branching there in every universe. Right. Basically, that's right. I remember that now. So that's they're correct because. The episode we saw, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. But in parallel episodes, the opposite happened. But there would still right. be a ship. But maybe that ship then later got destroyed. But every other one? I don't know. So I don't know, it just, <laughs> that's the only thing. It's a neat idea, but it just doesn't hold, hold water for me. That's all. I don't know. Maybe it was creating kind of a parallel. Anyway, maybe Deadlock, there was some kind of parallel universe being created. But it didn't come across that way in the episode. Yeah. You're right. It seemed like it was more like two within like just different dimensions within the same universe. Mm. I think they're, they're but, implying that that caused a branching of a new universe at that moment. But like, like I said, it is a retcon. There's nothing in the episode that says that in the episode, it would just be this ship got duplicated. They're occupying the same space somehow. And one was destroyed. So it's like with second chances, if Thomas right. Riker suddenly died, 
that doesn't create a, an alternate universe where there's no t- there's no Rikers anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're both Correct. existing in the one, right? So that's how, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a universe where he doesn't die and there's a universe he dies, but one event and the other doesn't create a new that's branch right, yeah. of a timeline within the universe. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, uh, see, this is what I was kind of getting at the beginning. <laughs> this can get really complicated. <laughs> So I, I'm at this point. If you haven't read the book, I mean, we're going to go into spoilers because I think you got a really good idea what this book is about. And if you find this to be interesting, this conversation so far, go read the book mm-hmm. because the book is just as good as this conversation, if not better. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I I'm going to give <laughs> before we stop giving spoilers. I'm going to give a huge spoiler. That universe 2,409 to the right of us, everybody dies. Yep. <laughs> wow. yep it's uh yeah so basically what's happening is like a planetary holocaust every two and a half hours which is like it's numbers kind of so large that and and i think the jane we in our universe says it it's kind of an abstraction like it's just Mm -hmm. um it's just statistics at that point you know billions of people every two and a half hours Wow, that's that's crazy. But this Voyager that is 2,410 universes to the right of us, in quotes, is watching this happen in front of them every two and a half hours. Billions of people are appearing in space, struggling, weightless, airless, and then dying in front of them every two and a half hours, a planet full of people. And it's it's horrible. Like it is hell. (laughs) <laughs> See, yeah. the, the really fascinating thing about this book is that this tragedy that's occurring is not happening in our universe. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting because there is our universe, 2,410 to the right of us and 2,542 to the right of us, I think it is, or, or something like that. Like those are the three primary ones. It's not happening here. That's a really interesting narrative choice to take mm-hmm. with this book. And I like that a lot. And even, you know, coming up with solutions, you know, that that universe that's 2,410 universes away, they're calling for the the cruise of Voyager. I think it was like 10 universes on either side kind of thing to submit solutions so our universe isn't even part of that which is it's such a it's such a cool thing that they're at such a far remove um for the main characters of the story to be in you know main characters of the story in quotes to be in that position it's Mm -hmm. it like you said it's a really cool narrative choice and one of the things that when i was done this novel i was kind of reflecting on going like that was really neat idea i don't know that a star trek episode would do that you know it 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 seems like it seems like if you came up with that as a writer your producer would be like no 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 it's got to be our heroes our heroes right. have to be the one to be dealing with this so you know it's really cool that it's at such a remove but yet it's not our universe but in a way it affects our universe because people are shifting from one universe to the other and it's so subtle Mm -hmm. and they don't even know what's happening to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden there's this planet of people and they get shifted to another universe that doesn't have that planet. And therefore that's why we have billions of these bodies 
They're just floating out there because there's no planet for them basically to land on. Mm -hmm. And with all those bodies out there, it looks from a distance like it's a planet until you really get a close-up look at this, quote, planet, and you just see that it's bodies. That, to me... Was so cool. Well, it's like a so chilling, like a paper mache balloon. Like, if you ever remember doing that in kindergarten, where you'd put the paper mache yes. on the outside of the balloon, and then you'd pop the balloon. Oh, like yeah. the, the the frame of it's all there, but the frame is people, right? Instead of paper mache, there's nothing on the inside of it, and then they slowly float away and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, there's some really neat imagery. Now, there's another really absolutely jaw dropping moment in this book that doesn't work for me, but it works for me. Right. So it's, I know it's kind of confusing, but so Janeway and the crew, they're trying to like the, the one that's 2410 to the left of us. They're trying to come up with a way to save these three billion people every two and a half hours. So they come up with this scientific mumbo jumbo where they create an atmosphere to hold like a everybody, bubble. a bubble to hold with air and stuff so everybody can breathe. So they save this crew. And then two and a half hours later, another people another group of people beam in. However, this shift doesn't transport dead bodies. Mm-hmm. It only transports living bodies. And because they kept these people alive inside of this bubble, trying to save them, they get shifted to the next universe and die. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that is absolutely outstanding. And it doesn't work for me. Like it's such a great thing, but the reason why it doesn't work for me is because in my mind, there's no planet there with this, which we didn't even talk about the impetus of this, is this this planet across all these universes has created some sort of automatic transporter system where every two and a half hours, people just get transported somewhere else on the planet. However, because it's tied into some weird spatial anomaly that's occurred 5,000 years ago or whatever, it's getting amplified and shifting the people to another universe rather than just moving them on the planet. Mm-hmm. So... So because this planet doesn't exist, there's no network of transporters to transport them. I took that from the novel that it's kind of self-perpetuating and like mm-hmm. even turning off the system at this point wouldn't do it, wouldn't stop it because it's it's still going. And with that much raw power coming through the rift or something like that, that it's mm-hmm. just automatically happening. So it was it was something that like, oh. I didn't know that it could do that kind of came through my head as well, but I was like, okay, well I I can go with it, I guess. (laughs) But it's such an amazing moment for them. Like just, you could just picture like how their hearts would just sink when they're like, we saved these people. Oh no, we didn't. And especially since like Janeway thought of it before it happened, but didn't say it to anybody because it's like, I don't know, maybe this. And then when it happens, the people on the bridge who hadn't thought of it, and Janeway, Tuvok says, Captain. And Janeway says, they've moved on, haven't they? And Paris whips his head around like, what? And like, Janeway's like, yeah, kind of thought that might happen. Like, I just, <laughs> that moment. Oh, chills. Absolute chills. So is this a violation of the Prime Directive? No, because they answered a distress call. Yeah. <laughs> they were asked for help. From one universe, not from all universes. Well, I got yeah. the impression that every universe sent it. So, like, right. So, Some universes don't have a planet to send a distress call. Right. <laughs> I I don't know. I'm I'm not a I'm not a prime directive purist. I don't <laughs> think following the prime directive means that we sit back and allow billions of people to go to their death repeatedly. I don't know. I'm I'm okay with it. <laughs> 
No, I'm okay too. Just when we were talking through and how these, you know, they're being transported and such, I was like, well, wait, that naturally would have happened whether Voyager showed up or not. I don't know if they really, you know, were they supposed to get involved or not? Is that a violation? I mean, I definitely think they should try to save them, but it's kind of weird. I mean, a lot of times when I read stuff like that, I think, okay, this is one time a ship showed up to save people, but if Voyager never got transported to the Delta Quadrant, all this would have happened. Yep. Which is scary. <laughs> all the planets to the, to the right of that void would just empty out over the course of... Oh, jeez. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, chilling. Now, just imagine okay. that one universe, right, where... Because they don't transport the dead bodies, right? Like, so just three billion dead bodies every two and a half hours. Like, there's just dead body after dead body after dead body there. Like, holy smokes. And the fun, the thing that's great about it is this bait novel, that's how it starts off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As these bodies being transferred. You don't know exactly know what's happening at first, but it's just really chill. When it first, first starts off, I'm like, whoa, okay, this is going to be really interesting. This is a perfect this. Voyager novel, like honestly fitting the series. Like oh, even absolutely. that the prologue, like that's a perfect Voyager intro of like, I could just picture that on a television episode where it's yeah. like just whoosh all these bodies in space. And like screaming and dying and that's it. It'd be like a short 10 second teaser that Voyager does, right? Mm. Like that would, that would be a perfect Voyager intro. Well, this whole novel, I think, like you say, through and through, it's a very Voyager story. Um, I don't know. Do we, do we want to talk about the ending and how all yeah, of this is Yeah, let's go resolved? ahead. Right. Before so- we get to the ending, I got to <laughs> say what it reminds me of. And this is, this might turn people off that haven't read it. This is totally... Um, time and again from season one, right? They come across some subspace wave and they go and investigate it and have this thing happen. And at the end, at the end, it's all reset button and Kess runs into the room yep. and it's like, you know, <laughs> so, but it's a little bit better than time and again. <laughs> and like that, that ending just to jump, like it even follows the beats of time and again, where, yes, it does. where Kess is like, <laughs> I think something's wrong. And it's like, no, everything seems fine. And then she's like, okay. Okay. And smiles. She's like, you're right. I think everything is fine. And then like, that's exactly what they, you know, she's like, can I see the planet? I think there's a, there's the planet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Everything's fine. Just like, this is exactly the same. And again, that's not a criticism. Um, No, it just made me think of that. That's all. Yeah. Well, also remind me of yesterday's Enterprise, like Guinan at the end. It's like, hmm, something's different, but everything's back to normal again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But not really understanding what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so the end of this novel, we get the what Voyager has been criticized for for a lot, uh, the reset button. You know, they, they eventually discover that flying into the rift and releasing antimatter will, uh, I think, seal the rift. And, you know, the huge explosion of all the voyage, all the voyagers from all these universes coming in and releasing their antimatter and colliding. And, you know, it would seal everything. Uh, and because the rift, even was, though there isn't a voyager in every universe, it's enough to make this happen. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that the rift was formed so long ago, it would no longer have existed and not have set these events in motion. And then, of course, our crew is happily going along without having known that this happened. What do you guys feel about the reset button? Because I've been very vocal about my hatred of the reset button before. Like, Year of Hell, I think, 
are a great pair of episodes and I just, I hate that reset button ending. Like I kind of stick my fingers in my ears and go la 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 through it because it really <laughs> bugs me. What do you think about it in this I'll novel? I'll let Bruce go first on that one because I know what I think about the reset button. It doesn't bother me in this book only because I don't see how it could have been resolved without allowing the billions of people to die unless we wanted to end the book with, well, yeah, billions of people to die had died, but a billion more won't. Um, so it didn't bother me as much of this because I like the resolution of the fact that they were able to reset and then no one dies. But Year to Hell and, and some other stories like that, I don't like the reset button. For this one, I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. See, for myself, the reset button on Voyager doesn't really bother me because it's it's a part of the formula of Voyager and what kind of makes Voyager work. And because they're in the Delta Quadrant and they're not in the Alpha Quadrant, it seems like more crazy things happen. Like, it, you know, they, they come across some pretty bizarre events in the Delta Quadrant. And a lot of the solutions are a reset button. But to me, that that it does bind the writers for a solution, but it does give them the creativity to do some pretty crazy stuff with our crew. Like you can't end year of hell without a reset button. Cause that ship is destroyed at the end <laughs> of it, you know, but year of hell is so amazing because this ship that we love and this crew that we love is being put through hell at right. And so you can't push them that far without the reset button. Because they can't come back from it if you push them that far, and that's like this, like the the the, the that's the great thing about Voyager is the the what's the word I'm looking for? Not the consequences are so high, but the what what's what I'm looking for? The the problem is so big, right? The uh, it's so extreme that you you can't solve it because so billions and billions. Pardon me. Insurmountable. Yeah, it's it's insurmountable. There's a term that I'm looking for, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head here. But um it's it's gone so far and the uh, it's just the only way to solve it is with a reset button and i don't know I, I like that because you're pushing the crew farther to get this better entertainment of craziness that normally wouldn't happen but if you have too many reset buttons then you'll watch an episode and go ah it's not going to be all right they're going to find a reset everything that's okay <laughs> yeah I don't know. the reset button doesn't bother me you know it's like people critique voyager because they have a more techno babble than than most of the other shows as well and i'm like ah whatever whatever they're talking about i don't understand because they're dealing with technology that's not around right now anyways so whatever they're talking about i don't understand what they're talking about so there wasn't much techno babble in this book though no 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 which was good mm -hmm. yeah i mean the reset button has bugged me a lot in the past and what's really frustrating about this book is it doesn't bother me as much in this book. And I don't really know why. Like, I it can't bothers really me that it doesn't bother me. A little bit. I know that sounds crazy, <laughs> but I'm like, why doesn't this bother me? Why am I okay with this? But, you know. Because we're saving all these lives. That's what it is. I guess so. And I think, Brandon, you really have a point is, uh, you know, the, the main crisis that we're dealing with, of course, are these billions and billions of people piling up in this universe and dying. But also there's just so with that many thousands of universes, things are getting so screwed up. Like these away teams are ending up in different places. They, I think there's 93 shifts by the end. So even the yeah. planets that aren't affected by these people showing up, you know, dying in this universe they're still 93 worlds away from their universe and it's just there's no other way to fix it and like 
I don't know if the solution, like you said, would have been to just stop it. And I guess now everyone's living on a different planet than what they grew up on and a bunch of you are dead. (laughs) So I, I, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's gone so far, even in just the little things like, you know, away teams being where they're not supposed to be. And now you just have to live with that, I guess. But you can't do that because it's a television show that isn't beholden to what happens in the books. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm okay with it and I can't really explain why, but I kind of am okay with it. (laughs) It's weird. I don't know. (laughs) So we have these away teams and then they of course are transported from one planet to the same planet in a different universe. So all of a sudden then, in these some of these other universes, the way team is beamed up to Voyager where they didn't beam down originally. So there's two Kesses and there's two Tauruses and Parises and such. So what'd you think of that? It was an interesting, I mean, we, we've doppelgangers are kind of a staple of Trek at this point. So it, it's kind of neat to do it on mass this way, which is kind of cool. Um, to me, my favorite scenes were when, you know, both Voyagers sent down an away team and then they shifted two universes over and then beamed up and just noticing the tiny differences, you know, not, not being immediately alerted to it because there's two of them there, but instead, well, there's a little curl of hair that I hadn't noticed before or little streaks yeah. of white in the hair or, and then all of a sudden noticing wait a minute, the colors are inverted on your com badge. <laughs> Just the little, and the way the characters handled that, I thought was really cool with Chakotay realizing it and about to bring it up. And then Janeway's like, yeah, I know you guys aren't the right, you you guys aren't the same away team that beamed away and everyone else like, what? And Chakotay right. being like, which gets yeah. repeated all over again in a different universe. Yeah, from, like, from the other perspective, which was right. really cool. I, as a writing exercise, this book is really fun. Like it's just, it would have been fun to write. Uh, I think more fun or as fun and much fun as it is to read. Cause mm-hmm. that's so cool. <laughs> and no wonder it took three people to write it. Cause they all had to help each other. Keep it straight. <laughs> they were each in See, charge of a universe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Kiraki. Anyway. <laughs> I am Kirok. <laughs> So I didn't like the vo- uh, the interaction between the two Bolanas in the one universe. Like, oh, I love that. Oh, did you? Dan? <laughs> I did. I I don't know. It, it it made sense. Like when they were sniping at each other, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. She's already warring. It's a metaphor. She's already warring with herself. Her Klingon and her human half. So if she actually were faced with herself, yeah, of course she'd be fighting with herself. But see, that's not the part I loved. I love the f- fact that <laughs> that because they were fighting all of a sudden they started getting along and they became a really great team with each other. That was cool. That's too. the part I like. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just to me, it just seemed like, Oh, Balan is the angry person and she gets angry all the time. So we're going to make her angry at herself. And so I don't know. It just, it seemed like it's just a stereotype of Balana to me, you know, like, I don't know, but it, again, it's fine. Yeah. They, they, once she finally got past that, then it started working together. You know, you see how smart these crew are. You see how smart our characters are, like Janeway, you know, like Janeway's a really smart scientist, you know, and, and that shows in this book. Mm-hmm. And I really like that because I, I like Janeway. I think she's a great captain. She's not my favorite captain, but she's a great captain. She's a great character. And yeah, this this book really fits in Voyager. Like it's a great Voyager novel. 
Mm-hmm. And I love how Tom Paris is that one character that's always like, now, wait, what are we doing again? And why is this happening? <laughs> and someone always had to explain it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there there was, <laughs> to kind of go to uh, to Brandon's point, there was a little bit of the stereotyping in there, especially like like you just mentioned in Paris. He's just the doofy guy who isn't quite keeping up. Um, and yeah, Bolana just being angry for being angry sake. There, there is a little bit, bit of that I notice in the book, like the kind of stereotypical, you know, Neelix is kind of creepy when it comes to Cass and I, I don't know, like that stuff kind of bugged me. It, it bugged me every time Paris kind of like, so I'm not wrong, right? This planet's creepy, right? I'm like, oh my God, really? Come on. Anyway, but. Yeah, for the most part, I think they get the characters down pretty well, with the exception of those bits of stereotypes that shine through a bit. I would have liked if this book had taken place a few years later and Taurus and Paris are in their relationship Mm. and see how, you know, Balana picks up, you're not my Tom. And Tom's like, you're not my Balana, but I kind of like you better. (laughs) Like something like that. Or he teases her with that and she gets all mad and he's like, I'm just kidding. Or, you know, I don't know. I kind of miss their relationship. When I read the earlier books or watch the early episodes, I kind of miss the Balana and Tom relationship. So Mm -hmm. it's better than the Tom and Cass relationship with Neelix getting all jealous. I kind of liked how, just as an aside, I liked how because it's a novel, they were able to do more subtle differences between the parallel universes. I I really love the TNG episode parallels, but because it's just a one hour episode and it's a visual format, you have to play up the, whoa, this universe is so weird and different compared to ours. Look, Worf's now the first officer and he's in a relationship with Troy and Picard was killed in the Borg incident and everybody's wearing different uniforms now. You know, it's just, I, I like that in this one we get kind of I think what would be a more representative look at universes that are very close to yours. You know, you're just, if, if your universe was separated by one decision that was made at some point, there would only be very subtle differences between them. If any at all, I think even more, more realistic would be millions of universes in either direction that you really couldn't tell the difference between them. But the fact that it's a book and you can spend more time with it allows the story to be a bit more subtle and play itself out that way. I'm going to take this moment to say that I don't believe in parallel universes. Carry on. (laughs) That's okay. There's a parallel universe where you do. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I like that Brandon in the other universe better. (laughs) He's a little bit more handsome. <laughs> How is that even more beautiful? Possible? He's more beautiful. Uh, so, you know, one thing that bothered me a little, I don't know if this is just me, but I really felt like Janeway was treating Tuvok like we sometimes see Picard treat, treat Worf, like always shooting down his suggestions. There were so many times she was negating him or interrupting him. He'd say, well, I think what's happening is wrong, Tuvok. We're not doing that. Wrong, Tuvok. That's what I was <laughs> like. <laughs> that was the one thing that bothered me the most. I kept feeling like she was always putting him down. Did you guys pick up on that at all? No, I didn't. I yeah. didn't catch that. And I don't know, maybe it was all taking place in one universe and because I, I wasn't tracking it that closely. I just noticed that there was a lot of times where Harry Kim would say something and she'd say, 
good idea, Ensign. And then Tuvok would say, well, I just, no, Tuvok, we're going with what Harry said. <laughs> going with what Harry said. Well, it's definitely not our universe then. Uh, no, actually, I, I hadn't noticed that. And I, I saw that you put that on the outline. I hadn't, I, I wish I'd, wished I'd kind of kept an eye out for that because I do remember thinking at one point when Tuvok said something in a scene towards the end of the novel, I remember thinking, oh, I haven't seen much of Tuvok. Like he's kind of, you know, I, I kind of thought he'd play more of a, a larger role in this, but he was always kind of in the background and not really. He was always being interrupted. Yeah. And I hadn't caught that. And I, I wish I'd <laughs> kept track of that because I, yeah, like I say, I remember thinking, oh yeah, Tuvok's there. <laughs> well, I thought the saddest part about all of that was how Harry Kim got promoted to lieutenant in every single universe. And then it was reset. <laughs> That's just mean. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been pretty good, though. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so anything else that you guys want to talk about this novel that we haven't covered? No, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised with how much we did get out of it because it's not a really in-depth, juicy story. It's just, it's a lot of action and it's a, you know, it's just a crazy story where a lot of things happen, and but it's not really... I don't think it's a really in-depth story. It's not like there's a crazy moral to it or anything like that, but uh, it's a good read. It's a good episode. Uh, like it would, it would, it would have made a good episode. It's pick it up. You'll love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to second that. It's uh, I, I bought this book back when I was reading Star Trek novels and Voyager started as a series. And I had this idea that I was going to buy all of the Voyager novels as they came out because it'd be the first series that, you know, I could read as they were coming out. And I read this one and I remember thinking back then, it's just such a good Voyager story. It fit right in with the series. And yeah, if, if you like Voyager or even if you don't really like Voyager and just like interesting sci-fi concepts and good Star Trek stories, this is a good one and you should definitely pick it up. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, uh, the more recent newer Voyager novels are really fantastic. But this was just felt more of like a traditional Voyager story. Like we were talking about before, it really could fit in feel like an episode of Voyager. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very quick read and just jumping through the different universes just kept it moving and kept it very interesting to me. So how would you, Brandon, rate this one on your own scale? Oh, I would probably give this four parallel universes to the right of me. Nice. Dan? I would I would have to very much agree with that rating. I'd say uh, four parallel universes to the right of me as well, but only every other one so that Voyager's in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of along the same lines. I'd probably rate just a little higher, and I would say I'd give it about... Uh, Four and a half billion dead bodies out of five billion. <laughs> that doesn't sound wow. like a good thing. And, and that, that's a good rating? <laughs> <laughs> well, they survive later in a bubble and the whole universe gets reset, so it's all good. <laughs> now there are four and a half live bodies out of four, out of five billion. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. Morbid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that does it for Echoes. Uh, next episode, we're going to talk about deep space nine a stitch in time so join us for that that's going to be interesting so brandon where can people find you online well when i'm not eagerly anticipating literary treks to cover captain's blood 
You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. Uh, you can find me here on the network with The Edge, which is our Star Trek Discovery podcast. And I'm also covering Warp 5, which is our Enterprise podcast with my friend Floyd Dorsey. And you can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom, where we cover Alfred Hitchcock movies in Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And we're smack dab in the middle of our silent era. And uh, the last episode that I just finished editing today, actually, is all about a movie called Downhill and has nothing to do with skiing. Hmm. So is that your not so subtle way of telling us we need to get back to the Shatnerverse? Yes. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, good, because we will in 2018. So, Bruce, I, I didn't check. I'm, I'm looking at your clothing. I don't think what you've been wearing has changed, but we're still in our original universe right now, right? I think so, because I'm wearing a shirt that has the Delta Shield on it, but it looks a little different to me. It looks, oh, it's from Discovery. Okay, we're fine. Oh, okay. All right. So we're not in a different quantum reality. Things are just visually updated a little bit. That's cool. Yes, yes. They're just, you know, there's sometimes in the universe there's echoes, echoes, echoes. Well, that's a long pause right there. (laughs) Sorry, I was just shaking my head disapprovingly at Bruce. (laughs) It's been fun talking about echoes, echoes, echoes today, but this isn't the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Fan consensus has sort of said, look, third season is terrible and awful and woeful, and a lot of it is. But you go back and you watch it, and there's a lot of it that carries over. Like, there's a lot of stuff that is, I think of, like, as quintessentially Star Trek, um, that sort of you see develop over the course of the third season. The 602 Club. There was a lot of screaming involved. (laughs) I'll start with... (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Snowball! 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 Yes. No, I know what you mean. No, I did a lot of, Oh my god, it's a Demogorgon. Warp 5. He had to learn to not interfere, and it's painful, and that's what makes it such a powerful episode, so this is definitely a see it. Okay, next. All right. All right. Sleeping dogs. While exploring a Skip gas... Skip it. Tra- <laughs> okay. All right, so shadows of... <laughs> <laughs> I think we already know what this one is. <laughs> keep, keep going with the sleeping dogs. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. It's like when Tyler was, you know, explaining the situation and seeing it. And I mean, and he was explaining it to Tyler. It's like he was almost apologizing for it. Like, I had to do this to save my life. And I'm still alive because I did this. But... Is he suffering guilt for that? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found that podcast by being an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And if you have the time, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a star rating and a written review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. 
If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. And if you'd like to help us keep these shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. And we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd also love to hear any of your thoughts on today's show or any of the other shows that we've done. And there are many ways for you to do that. The best place, of course, to join in the larger conversation is on the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks. That'll come right to Bruce and I. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Find us on our Goodreads group where we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books as well as what we're currently reading in that section. And you'll also see what's coming up so you know for future shows what we're going to cover. Plus there's great conversations happening about all the books and comics. So just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and then click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shea Matala, and Justin Ozer for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. And Dan, when you're not laid up in sick bay, looking up and seeing yourself treating yourself, where can people find you? You know, they say doctors make the worst patients, and it's especially bad if the doctor and the patient are both the same person and yet not. I don't know. This is all very confusing, but you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions talking about Star Trek and on Facebook.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference. Now, Bruce, when you're not getting into an argument with yourself over the minutiae of engineering a plan to save thousands of planets, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Oh, stop. Stop. Uh, stop arguing with myself. You can also find me on occasionally on the edge, especially when we do the live show. Every time there's a new Discovery episode, the next night on Monday nights, you'll find Brandy Jackala and I doing the live from the edge show. It's a sub show of the edge. And uh, so that will kick up again in January. And that's at 9 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Pacific, if you want to tune in and join when we do our live show. And uh, you can also find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast at StarWarsReport.com. And of course, you can always find me in the Babel Conference. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.